0: we'll work work with it. Uh, So if you brought your Bibles, we are actually going to be in John chapter 5 this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 5. Now, if this is your first week with us, uh, what we do here at South Point, the entire reason we exist is we want everyone to experience God's unconditional love. We want everyone to be able to experience God's unconditional love, and we believe that that love is experienced through the person of Jesus. And so every week we open up this book in an effort to dig in and unpack who is the person of Jesus. And we are currently in a year-long series where we're reading through the book of John, just asking that question, who is Jesus, what has he done for us, and what does he want to do today? And currently the series that we're in is a series that we're calling I Choose. And the reason we're calling it I Choose is because we believe that because Jesus is who he says he is, that in order to have a relationship with him, we have to say yes to life as he's laid it out. We have to say yes to the relationship with him as he's laid it out, and there's a decision to be made between what he offers and what the world offers. And so we're trying to present that well uh, over the course of this series. Now, to give you a little bit of context about the moment that we're in here in John chapter 5, what has just happened is that Jesus has performed a miracle. He's performed a miraculous healing, but... Jesus has performed this miraculous healing on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the day when everyone's supposed to be resting, and so the religious leaders of the day, they're going after Jesus for performing this miracle. Not only are they questioning him for this, but they actually want to kill him for working on the Sabbath. And so they confront Jesus in a very direct way about this healing, and the entire passage that we're going to read is Jesus' response to them questioning him and accusing him and wanting to kill him and so this passage we're going to read is pretty long and so we're going to break it into three big chunks and in each of those sections uh, each of those chunks of scripture there's a main point so we'll have three points in this message we're in John chapter 5 starting at verse uh, 16 but before we jump into it let's pray together God we love you we are thankful that you are a God who does break every chain. We're thankful that you're a God who offers himself freely to us, even when we don't deserve it, that we can experience peace and hope and salvation. And that what you offer, we can find nowhere else in the world. God, I pray that our time together right here, right now, is more than just a talk, that it's actually a time when we can hear directly from the Holy Spirit through your word, through the words of Jesus, and that we can connect with you in a way that maybe we haven't before. That you can reveal yourself to us in maybe a way that you haven't before, and we can walk out of this place challenged. And change. Jesus, this is all about you. We love you and we pray in your name. Amen. So, again, this passage we're reading is after Jesus has performed a miracle, and this is how it plays out. It says this, starting in verse 16. It says, So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can, he can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Don't miss this. These are big statements that Jesus is making. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear my judgment. is just for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Now we're going to pause right here and hit our first main point today. Because of all these big statements in this passage that we just read, they point to one massive truth and that massive truth is our first point and it's this Jesus is God Jesus is God now why is this important why is it important to understand that Jesus is God we well, see a lot of people instinctively like Jesus even some nonbelievers will say things like I'm fine with Jesus but it's just the church that I have a problem with but you see it's not enough to just like Jesus and it's not enough to just admire him or cheer for his cause and the world wants to put Jesus in a box they want him to be just another Confucius or, or, or Buddha they want Jesus to be just another wise teacher but the problem with this is that if Jesus is just another wise teacher then you can either take his words or leave them and you still might be all right. But if Jesus is God and you choose to ignore his words, you will most certainly not be all right. If Jesus is God, if he's the Alpha and the Omega, if he's the beginning and the end, if he's the only way to receive life and salvation and forgiveness, then you either find those things in Jesus or you don't find those things. So how else does this passage illustrate that Jesus is God? Well, consider, like we said before, uh, this passage, the reason the Jewish leaders want to kill Jesus is because he was working on the Sabbath. He was performing a miracle. Do you know what miracle he was performing? He was telling someone who hadn't walked in 38 years to stand up and walk, and the guy did it. You know who else did that? This actually happens... In the book of Acts, the disciples Peter and John, actually, they also tell someone who hadn't walked in some time to stand up and walk, and he did it. You know how they accomplished this? In Jesus' name. And so Jesus is God because he heals like no one has ever healed, and in his name, people are healed in miraculous ways and lives are changed. This is one of the ways that he illustrates that he is God How else does Jesus illustrate that he's God in this passage? Well, in verse 18, the the Jewish leaders understand, says, for this reason they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So not only is Jesus healing miraculously, but he's calling himself God. He does this elsewhere in Scripture, in John 10, verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are equally God. In John chapter 8, he says, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, if you don't know who Abraham was, Abraham was born almost 2,000 years before Jesus. So what is Jesus trying to say? Jesus is saying, I have existed always. I am God And so if you're ever talking to someone and they try to tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God, they're either lying or they're mistaken, but they're, they're wrong because Jesus did multiple times. So we have miraculous healing, we have Jesus claiming to be God, but, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on talking to these religious leaders and he says this, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Meaning, one day when you stand before God in judgment... You're going to be standing before Jesus. He is the judge. Now when I was a kid, I always pictured judgment day as me standing before the Father, and the Father calling out every bad thing that I've ever done, and right before the Father hands out my punishment, Jesus whips in out of the wings like a hero and is like, no! He believes in me, so he's saved. But according to this passage, Jesus is the judge. And so Jesus is our judge and our defender, which may be a conflict of interest, but since it benefits me, I'm not going to question it. So Jesus is going to be the judge, but Jesus doesn't stop there with these big statements. He goes on in verse 25, and he says this, Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming, and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Jesus brings the dead life both spiritually and physically, both metaphorically and literally. Not only did Jesus physically bring three different people back to life while he was on earth, not only did Jesus raise himself back to life, not only do the apostles Peter and Paul in the book of Acts raise two separate people back to life in Jesus' name, but Jesus says there's going to come a day when he's going to return from heaven And everyone who is dead who hears his voice will raise back to life. What? (laughs) These are not ordinary claims. These are not ordinary things that Jesus is saying. The miraculous healing, the sitting in the judgment seat, the raising the dead back to life. The author C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, he says this about Jesus claiming to be God. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, which I like, that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. That Jesus is either a lunatic or a liar, or he actually is God. And when you consider that everything Jesus said would happen, did happen, and when I consider that in following him for over 20 years, I've not found a single promise of his to not be true. And when I consider the way that he's shown up for me time and time again, when I consider the peace and strength that he has so freely offered me, when I consider the way that he has rearranged my mind and my heart and my spirit, when I consider that I used to be spiritually stillborn and broken and dead and lost but I've now found something in him that I've not been able to find anywhere else in the world. Man, I'm going to fall at the feet of Jesus over and over again, and I'm going to keep falling there because there's nowhere else to go. Jesus is God. And so he exhibits this and vocalizes this, and that's just point one. Jesus continues in his response to these religious leaders, and he says this. He says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, this is not talking about John the uh, disciple, this is talking about John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who was someone who preached about Jesus like a wild man, pointed to Jesus and everything that he did. He says, you sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it, that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing testify that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. Listen to this. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is telling these religious leaders, you know this book, you know the stories, you know all these things. And if you know how religious leaders functioned back in the day, it is very likely that these religious leaders that Jesus is talking to not only are they familiar with the scriptures but it's very likely that they actually have all of the old testament memorized it's likely that these religious leaders have all 38 books of the old testament memorized genesis exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy joshua judges ruth first and second samuel first and second kings first and second chronicles ezra nehemiah esther Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haddai, Zechariah, Malachi. Kind of impressive, right? Now consider how impressive it is that for each 38 of those words, there is an entire separate book of the Bible And these religious leaders have memorized them, the entire book, inside and out. And they spend hours a day actively studying these. And Jesus says, you've completely missed it. It's almost like it's for nothing, but how can it be for nothing? Well, it's because these religious leaders, they're reading this book just to maintain a moralistic lifestyle. They're using the scriptures like a self-help book but that's never going to work because that's not what the Bible's for. So what does Jesus say the Scriptures do? What is their function? Jesus says you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. So what is the claim? Jesus says the entire Bible is about him. Jesus said that this book is designed to help you to know me, and you're using it for something else. How is it possible that you have all of these words memorized and they written about me, and yet here I am standing in front of you and you don't even recognize me? You spent your entire life reading about me. Now the religious leaders, like I said, they only have access to the Old Testament. It'd be weird if they had access to the New Testament because they are actively living it right now as we're reading it. And so you might be saying, well, I know that the New Testament is about Jesus, obviously, but you're saying that the Old Testament is about Jesus, too. And I'm saying, actually, Jesus is saying the Old Testament is about him. And I wish I had more time to dig into all of the examples of how, but that would be a separate year-long study in itself. But I'll give you a couple really quick examples of how the Old Testament is about Jesus. You guys know the story of David and Goliath. Even most non-believers know it. The shepherd boy who slayed a giant with a stone and won an entire battle by himself while the rest of the army hid, afraid and helpless. You know what happens a lot of the times when we read the story of David and Goliath? We believe, well, I'm David, obviously, and, and Goliath is my anxiety or my depression or my relationship problems or my money problems or my health problems. And if I just have enough faith, God will allow me to slay these giants and be victorious. And that sounds really romantic, doesn't it? But that's not how it works. Now, David and Goliath's story is 100% true. It is a literal and historical account. But if you want to talk about the symbolism of it, you are not David. None of us are David. And Goliath isn't your worldly problems. The truth is Jesus is David. And Goliath is your sin and your shame. And you have absolutely no chance to defeat your sin and shame. And so we're stuck standing back helpless. And just like David goes and conquers the giant and calls it a victory for the Israelites who are helpless, so does Jesus go and conquer death and sin and calls it a victory for all of us. You see, if you start to look for Jesus and the story of the gospel in these words, this book will start to come alive. I'll give you one more example. You know the account of Noah and the ark? Jesus is in that story too. And in this story, if you're a Jesus follower, you actually get to be Noah. Exciting, right? You know why? Because Noah was flawed and broken and messed up, and yet the Bible says he still received God's grace and favor. And so if you said yes to Jesus, even though you are flawed and broken and messed up, you've still received God's favor. And so where's Jesus? Well, Jesus is the ark. Because God's judgment, like the flood, is coming. Someday soon it's going to be here. And so for a short time, those of us who follow Jesus, we have an opportunity to point people to the ark. Say, this is the only way you can be saved if you follow Jesus. You can be saved from the flood. You can be saved from the judgment of God by getting onto the ark, by putting your faith in Jesus. But one day, just like the ark door closed, one day the opportunity to say yes to Jesus is going to disappear. Jesus is the ark. You see, you can go through the entire Bible, not just the New Testament, and you will find ways in which Jesus is illustrated, and foreshadowed and revealed and when you read the bible this way it will begin to resonate in a way that it never has before i promise you this i've experienced it myself and just one more side note because i can't help myself the verse jeremiah 29 11, it says for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you and plans to give you a hope and a future it's a lot of people's favorite verse Maybe even some people in this room and people think that this verse is about God having a plan for you in this life to be healthy and to be safe and to, and to have a good job and to protect you from any harm coming your way. Guess what? That's not what it's about. This verse is 100% about Jesus. I'm not going to go into it, but if this is your favorite verse, you might want to go do some digging. You see, this book is not a self-help guide to living the perfect life or roadmap to being a good person. That's what the religious leaders said and Jesus says, no, you don't even realize this book is about me. So we have that Jesus is God. We have that the entire Bible is about Jesus. And then there's one more big point that Jesus makes in his response to these religious leaders. Jesus goes on in verse 41 and says this. He says, I do not accept glory from human beings. But I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Now, now, you need to know a little bit about Moses before you can know what Jesus is talking about in this passage when he refers to Moses. Now, Moses was a hero in the Old Testament. and I'm sure you've either seen the Prince of Egypt or at least heard the story God uses Moses to emancipate the people of Israel from slavery under the corrupt rule of Egypt and its Pharaoh. God frees an entire nation through Moses, and then from that point on, Moses is the guy. Moses is that dude. And from that point on, the Israelites are free, and they're trying to get to the promised land, the land that God has promised them, but they keep messing it up. And so they need further instruction, and so this is how it plays out. Moses would travel up to the top of a mountain. And when he got there, God would speak to him and give him instructions, and God eventually gives Moses the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law, and then Moses would come back down the mountain and tell the rest of the people what God has to say. So Moses becomes a conduit by which the people hear from God. God tells it to Moses, Moses tells it to the people. Moses is also responsible for writing the first five books of the Bible. Moses is a hero. He's a hero to the Jewish people, to the religious leaders, and it's through Moses that the Israelites get a lot of their information about who God is and how he wants them to live. That's how they function. Moses' words are words that they trust, and now Jesus is saying it's time to stop focusing on Moses, and it's time to start focusing on me, which brings us to our final point. Our final point is you don't need a Moses. And you may say, I don't even, I didn't even know that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, and so obviously I I don't care about what Moses has to say. But in 2021, we've done something a little crazy. In 2021 and the years leading up to it, we have taken preachers and pastors and speakers, and we've turned them into Moses. Because in the church today, the majority of Christians don't pick up this book and read it. I'll say that again. Most Christians rarely, if ever, actually pick up God's word and read it. Do you know what Christian's preferred method of interacting with this book is? Listening to a pastor tell them what it says. As if a pastor over the course of the week goes up the mountain and gets some special message from God and then comes back down the mountain and shares it with the rest of the class on Sunday morning. And people base their entire relationship with God and their understanding of God on what a human being tells them about this book. Does anyone know what this is? This is a baby bottle. It is for babies. It provides very little nutrition or hydration if an adult tries to drink from it. You don't get much. It doesn't matter how good the drink inside the bottle is. It doesn't matter how much love and time and energy went into preparing the contents of the bottle. The bottle will never be enough to sustain an adult. Eventually, they'll wither away and die. I'll take it a step further and suggest to you that if an adult were walking through a blazing desert, a hopeless, parched, barren wasteland, and to satisfy their thirst, they went into a tent in the desert once a week, and drank out of a bottle that someone else held for them for 30 minutes before turning around and wandering back out into the wilderness for an entire other week, maybe more, I'd wager that they would not be doing very well. And yet that's exactly how the vast majority of the American church functions. And then we wonder why we feel empty, and we wonder why it feels fake, and we wonder why we aren't experiencing the goodness of God But did you know that God, the creator of the universe, the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, the one who breathed the galaxies into existence, the one who wants to give you a hope and a peace that you can't even wrap your mind around, the one who sent his son to die on a cross for every mistake you've ever made and will make, that God is trying to connect with you all the time, and he wants to reveal who he is and what he wants for your life. And that God says, if you seek after me, you will find me. And as you're dying of spiritual dehydration and trying to get by on the weekly words of someone who has no chance of sustaining you, Jesus is crying out to you and he's saying things like, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And Jesus is saying things like, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Meaning not only will Jesus quench your thirst, but he's going to pour so much life and love into you that it's going to begin leaking out and impacting the lives of those around you, your family and your friends and even strangers, that this love is so big and so amazing and so fulfilling and it's going to impact everyone around you, but guess what? You're never going to get there if your relationship with Jesus depends on Dustin Snyder or Jamie Lankford or Stephen Furtick or Francis Chan or any other popular pastor, whoever you listen to, because we're not good enough. Just like Moses was not good enough. And our job was never designed to sustain your relationship with with Jesus, our job is to challenge you to have a relationship with him in the first place, to point like a wild person saying, Jesus is the way that you can be saved. Not come here to listen to me to to be fulfilled, but go chase after him. I promise you that if you need my words to be great in order for your relationship with God to thrive this week, that you maybe lost your mind Because I am not good enough. So don't depend on me. Depend on Jesus. Because Jesus is that good. And this entire book is about him. And if you open this book with the intention of getting to know him, I promise you that you'll find him and that you will experience growth. It's not an opinion. It's a matter of fact. Not only did Jesus dying on a cross wipe out the sins of all humanity for anyone who would believe in him, but it also makes it possible that we can come to him anytime with anything and engage with him and hear from him. And people didn't always have that option. That we can take our junk to him and he'll speak to us. But this book is the primary way that he speaks to us. So Jesus comes to these religious leaders and he says, I am God and this entire book is about me and you don't need anyone else to have a relationship with me. Actually, you shouldn't be depending on anyone else to have a relationship with me. I just want you to come exactly as you are and hear from me and I will meet you there. Have a direct relationship with Jesus. And so why would we want a relationship with him by any other means? And so the choice today is this. The choice is I either choose to make this relationship with Jesus personal, or I choose to keep depending on a middleman. And so if you're ready to choose making the relationship with Jesus personal, we have these books in the back of the room. Um, we actually gave these out earlier in the year. These are just this is just the Gospel of John. This isn't even the entire Bible. I'm not going to challenge you to read the entire Bible. I just want you to read this one book, the book that we've spent this entire year in. And the way that this book works is on one side are all the scriptures, and the other side are blank lines that you can write on. And my challenge to you is that you go through this book with the sole intention of getting to know Jesus. And you go through and make observations and you write down questions and any little thing that stands out that's about Jesus. Why did Jesus say this? Why did Jesus interact with this person? Why did Jesus go there instead of here? Why did Jesus do this? Why was Jesus acting this way? Not to check off a box, not to get it done, not to rush through it, but just open up this book with the sole intention of getting to know Jesus. Doesn't even have to be the Gospel of John. You don't need this fancy book even though we have them. Available, you can open up a Bible and pull out a sheet of paper and do the exact same thing. The challenge is to open up this book with the sole intention of getting to know Jesus, and I promise that you will find him. I promise that you don't need me or anyone else. God is big enough to reach you exactly where you are. You might say, I can't understand it. He'll help you understand it. He's God. Take some time this week and spend it just alone with him. Not a devotional that leads you into it. Not someone preaching to you. Just open this book up and read it and see if Jesus doesn't show up. He is worth chasing after. and The Bible says we'll find him. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you have made this easy for us. Because even in how easy it is, we've still made it difficult in a lot of ways. God, I pray for every person in this place, myself included, that there is an innate desire inside of us to just want to know you more. And I pray... That we don't want to find that anywhere else but just directly engaging with you. God, I believe that you are big enough to meet anyone where they are, even if they've never opened up Scripture before. I know that you can reveal yourself to us in a powerful way if we'll just seek after you because the Bible says you will do that. Jesus, I pray that whatever we're carrying with us into this place, that we can just bring that to you, that we don't have to hide and sin and shame, that we can trust that you break chains, that we can praise you on whatever we're going through, that we can open this book in whatever season of life that we're in, and what you have to say will speak directly into it and reveal who Jesus is to us. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're good enough. We thank you that you love us even when we are not good enough. We praise you. We just lift you up and give you all the glory. We pray in Jesus' name, in his name alone. Amen.